Hey guys, welcome to My Condolences, the podcast about the hilarious and harrowing stories of life after death. I'm your host, Laura Harmon, and today we have Lisa with us, and we're going to talk about her daughter, Katie. Welcome. Hey, Laura. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm super excited because you have been in the grief world for about five years now. You've gone on to write a book. You've taken on so much of this yourself. But why don't we start at the beginning? Tell us about your amazing daughter, Katie. What was she like? What was your relationship like? Well, my daughter was 17 and a half uh, when she was involved in a fatal car accident. And she was just getting to that point in life where we were really starting to become friends. And we could talk about all the stuff and we could do all the stuff together and have fun. And she was really kind of a goofy kid. And she had a really crazy sense of humor. And uh, she would go on these ranting tangents and she would um, just just have the most hilarious conversations with anybody. And she could turn the most serious conversations into something that was really, really a lot of fun. Um, But she was also a straight shooter as well. She was uh, the academic kid. She was the kid who had a 95 or higher average, I can't remember what it was, um, and had just been accepted into nursing school with full scholarship. Wow. So, yeah. And just really the kid that was always helping out other kids and um, just shining her light everywhere she went. Now, I know that you said that you have two children. You have Katie and a younger son. Uh, do you mind walking us through what happened with her car accident, what, where you were, what the circumstances were? Sure. Um, it was just a regular Tuesday night in December. Um, I live in Canada, and usually at that point in the year, we have a, lots of snow and ice, but we didn't. We didn't have any snow yet, so it was just a regular clear night, and uh, Katie had been doing some homework in the home office, and she was one of these quick-moving kids, and she came flying out of the office, and she yelled down the hall to her dad, Dad, can you correct this assignment? I have to submit it by midnight. Uh, She had her coat and boots on and was out the front door before I could even say goodbye or be safe or I love you. She was going to do an errand. And about quarter to 10, I sent her a text and just said, hey, I hope you're on your way home. My kids always had to be home at 10 o'clock on a school night Mm -hmm. and got into bed with my book. And no sooner were we laying in bed with our books that the doorbell rang. And we got the doorbell ring or the knock at the door that is every parent's worst nightmare. Um, Even when I ran to the door and saw a police officer and a woman in black, which I later learned was the coroner, even though these two people were standing in my front entryway when my daughter was not home, it still didn't click. My husband said he knew, um, but I did not know until they sat us down and said, you know, I regret to inform you that your daughter was involved in a fatal car accident. And uh, I remember just sitting in disbelief and staring at this man who was very kind and very compassionate. Uh, But the tears didn't come at first. I just started to shake. I was bouncing on the couch. I just couldn't control myself. And I had, at one point, I had my husband on one side and my son on the other. And I just kind of quit listening to the officer after a while and thought everything is going to be different from here on in. You know, my son has lost his mentor and his older sister, the person that's supposed to 
help him through his teenage years. Protect him and shield him and everything. Absolutely. Be his confidant and, you know, and she was gone. You know, in an instant, we went from a family of four to a family of three. And at that moment, I could almost feel the three of us starting to drift apart. And I just, I just wanted to wrap my arms around the three of us and hold us together. Now, do they know what happened with, with the car accident? Was she hit by another driver? Uh, she was at fault, uh, but we don't know what led to the accident. So she was, um, she died on what we call the ring road here where I live. And it's, it's like a, a circular perimeter road where you can quickly, you know, go around the city. And um, it was a curve in the road and it was the one section of this highway perimeter, if you will, that had no lights. Mm. And her accident was actually under investigation for about six months. It's just what they do. And, uh, you know, both vehicles, she, she hit a semi-truck trailer going the opposite direction. Uh, both vehicles were in perfect running condition. Um, you know, the report came back inconclusive, basically. Um, so we, we don't know the exact details as to why her car left the road, but ultimately that's what happened. I can't imagine they how, uh, obviously having to go through someone showing up at your home because she was just there, but then not having any of those answers has to be incredibly painful and frustrating for you and your family. Yes and no. Um, I think it bothered my husband more as to what, you know, he is, he needed more answers. He read the coroner's report when we got it. I still haven't looked at it. I don't need to look at it. Um, it's not going to change anything. Mm-hmm. So f- I guess we've made peace and, you know, we talk about it every now and then. And I, I beat myself up a little bit because I think, you know, and all the things we told her when she was learning to drive and we were driving with her, do this, don't do this, make sure you do this, make sure you don't do that. Never once did we say, you know, sweetie, if there's a bunny crossing the road or if there, you know, sometimes it's the safest thing, you know, to hit it. Have, yeah. Yeah. You know, we never had that conversation and just given that section of road, it's, Yes, it's a perimeter road, but there's field and and wildlife would come in and out of that area. Mm -hmm. We don't know. Um, You know, I think we've all caught ourselves from time to time, you know, playing with the radio station or trying trying to grab something in your purse that you you can't see it. You're feeling around and... Well, I think it's interesting. The, the thing about grief is that I, and I, I know, I hope you know from the bottom of my heart that I mean this, that it doesn't matter what the cause of the accident was, who is at fault. It's your child. It's your daughter Mm -hmm. that the blame doesn't really solve or change anything in that way. If if you don't mind me uh, asking how, how was that with your husband of how you guys grieve? Did you grieve similarly? Did you grieve differently? How did you guys Mm. cope? You know what? All three of us really grieved as differently as three people could possibly grieve. I was the active, I got to do something. I got to talk to people. I got to connect with people. I want to talk about Katie. Uh, you know, I'm going to go to therapy and I'm going to uh, go to grief yoga and I'm going to journal and I'm going to do the stuff. And I had a lot of sick time banked at work 
So I thought, this is probably a good time to take it. So I took 10 months off and really worked on worked on my grief, but I think my goal from the get-go was really holding my little broken family together. Mm-hmm. So I thought I will be the pillar. You know, my son was in high school. It's a tough time for Terrible any kid. Time. And then you throw grief and all this stuff on top and it, it's really, really hard. And my husband went back to work. So I thought I'm going to be the stable Mabel at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I poured myself into those two things. And uh, my husband decided that if we were going to make our son go back to school right away, that he too, you know, had better be the, um, you know, the role model and one of us better go back to work. So he went back to work right away, but he came home very depleted Mm -hmm. and where I was like, let's talk. And you know, this is how I'm feeling. And he was, I would sometimes feel the pushback. Mm -hmm. Um, so we really got to a place I think where, we um, agreed to disagree maybe Mm -hmm. on our, on our grief, um, on our grief journeys. And we were definitely traveling the road together, but doing it very differently. We're different human beings. Everybody listening to this podcast is different. Just like we have different fingerprints and, you know, we have different favorite colors. We're going to grieve differently, right? So I think it's really important to respect that. It can be really hard though. Um, And then we had this teenager who was really acting out, you know, looking back now, he's 20 now, he's really got it all together and and he's on a great path. But um, yeah, I, I think we also, my husband and I, if he was standing right here, I think he'd probably agree with me that we took our grief and we took our marriage and we, put it on the back burner for a while because we needed to focus on our son, you know, as much as, as our grief was overwhelming at times, I think we needed to just say, okay, he's the one that's here right now. We've really got to focus on him and help him. I think that that's admirable. I've, I've talked to people who've lost siblings and it's interesting how, and again, it's, every person is different. Like you said, every experience is different. Every coping mechanism is different. But some of the people that I have talked to whose parents didn't really come out of that hole and didn't really, you know, there was long-term damage there caused uh, by, by that. And so I, you know, my hat's off to you and your husband. And I was 15 years old and my dad passed away. And so I understand the high school element for your son. And, and also there is something that's so tragic about it being essentially a peer, you know, a best friend, even if they weren't always seeing eye to eye, having that sibling relationship is so unique. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it's been very, very difficult for him. Why don't you walk me through a little bit of what it was like right after Katie passed away? What were those first few months like? Would you, did you guys have a service? How was your community at that time? Uh, nothing but support from our community. Um, you know, the strength, you don't know until you have to face something, how strong you can be, um, you know, and, and how quickly things happen in that first week after you lose somebody. You know, I remember sitting in um, at, the, at the funeral parlor, mm-hmm. planning my 17-year-old daughter's funeral less than 24 hours after we got the news that she had died, mm-hmm. which was just surreal. 
I'm sure. Um, it's like they, she literally is bouncing through your house, home from school, working on homework, and then yeah. you're in that sterile, almost creepy environment where they try and make mm-hmm. it cozy, but you're in that, like, it's not a normal place to be. Mm-mm. No. And just thinking in the back of my head, this is so wrong. This is so wrong. Like, what if she, what if she walks through the door tomorrow? Mm-hmm. You know, these crazy things that go through your head. Um, and we had her service five days after she died. It was really important to me that we had her service on a weekend day because I knew that the entire school or her entire grade was going to show up. And I wanted to make that available as well as our coworkers and, you know, so we did it on a Sunday um, and filled up the church. And my husband and I actually got up and spoke. And, you know, it was one of those things where we had the most amazing uh, minister presiding over her service and just such an incredible soul. And he had us send him our speeches so he could put it on his uh, iPad. And he said, all you need to do is look at me and I will take over. So don't feel pressured, you know, if you're just, if you can't do it. But I remember walking into the church doors and thinking, you know, prior to getting to the church, it was like, oh my God, I don't know if I could do this. But I remember walking through the church doors and just feeling so empowered, really, for lack of a better word, and thinking... I will never get to toast my daughter as the bride. Mm-hmm. I will never get to, um, you know, celebrate graduations, convocations, speak at anything on her behalf. This is the one time that I will get to tell the world how wonderful my daughter was. And uh, we did it. We did it. And the other thing that was really important to me as well is I wanted our son and the community to know that we were going to continue on because of our son Mm -hmm. and that we were going to look a little bit different on the outside, but we were still going to be a family. And then um, I just, you know, of course we didn't drone on and on forever, but um, I also just let people know that, you know what, we all need to go home and we all need to hug our kids And everyone that knew Katie has a piece of her inside of them. Mm -hmm. And we need to shine that light just like she did. And then it seemed like after the service, I think anybody who's gone through any kind of grief, you know, you have support, 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 support. People are coming to the house. Flowers are coming. Meals are coming. People are calling and texting and all of this great stuff. The service comes and the world keeps spinning the world everybody goes back to their lives their jobs their families because they have to they've got responsibilities but your world has quit spinning mm-hmm. quit spinning and you know the the calls decrease the the texts fall off and that's when i found it got really hard mm-hmm. you know and that was then you know it was kind of like that big moment when you think okay, now, now what do I do? It's interesting. It is such a thing that people who have lost someone knows exactly what that feels like. And it is so surreal because you, my father passed away in December as well. And 
it's such a hard time of year as it is because there's so much magic about December, but then now it kind of permanently for me has changed the view of December and, and the holidays and the lights and everything. And, and it's, it is painful when your community, yes, I've learned over the years, they, they pull back because that is life, but you are left in this situation. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about your church? Is that something you guys were actively going to weekly before? Are you still involved there? What, what has that journey been like for you at your congregation? You know, in all honesty, we were not, um, we were loosely involved with the church, if you will. You know, our kids went to preschool there. We had gone for services, you know. That's how we were growing but, up too. <laughs> you know, just, just, just keeping it honest here. But yeah. um, I found a lot of strength in the church, especially right after. And I don't know if it's because we had Katie's service there. Um, and partly it was because it's such a big church and you know, the, the, the lights seem to be dim in there and I, it was a safe place for me to cry. Sure. You know, because when somebody's up at the front talking, nobody's talking to me specifically and I could just let those tears go. Yeah. I think it's important to have a space like that, whatever that looks like to you. Cause I always tell people, some people are very, you know, devoutly religious. Other people are more fluid. It's just about whatever is going to bring you comfort. One of my favorite mm -hmm. questions to ask is what is one of the, the worst or funniest things someone said to you after Katie passed away or uh, more than one? Worst and funniest. Yeah. I will never forget this. Um, just to back up a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I spoke about this incredible minister that came into our lives and uh, he came to our house a couple of days before the service. And he says, I want to know Katie. I want to know her really well. And he was such a, you know, he, I felt like he eventually uh, knew her very well, but he said, if I can give you one piece of advice, he said, guaranteed, guaranteed hundred percent, either at Katie's service or going forward on your grief journey, people are going to say stupid things. Yep. And he said, I want you to know, I want you to expect it. And I want you to know that there is a reason that this happens. And he said, nobody knows your pain, but as human beings, we are all trying to connect. So, or, and the other thing he said is we all learn how to respond to other people's grief by observing, mm -hmm. right? So we observed our parents and what they said when we went to funerals with them when we were younger. And mm -hmm. so these, these yucky cliches and these hurtful things that just kind of, and he said, it comes, just try and remember as much as you can that nobody intends to say anything hurtful. If they say something hurtful, they, they just don't get it. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad he yeah, told me that because no word of a lie about two weeks after Katie died or, or shortly after her funeral, a lady said to me, Oh, Lisa, I'm so sorry. I know exactly what you're going through. And she said it was such feeling that I thought, Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's what I thought. And so my heart just broke for her. And I thought, I felt terrible because I didn't know it was somebody, I can't remember even who it was, but it was somebody I knew. 
And I just felt really terrible because I didn't know that they'd lost a child. Then she goes on to say, my dog died, you know, last week. And I, oh my, you know, and she went, I don't know about her dog. And I love my dog too. But I just remember thinking, no, no, you don't get it. You don't. No. And you know, and I, and I wish I would have been in a place where I am now where I could say, nope. That's not the same, right? You know, um, at the time I knew that if I opened my mouth, it would not be very nice. So right. I just kind of nodded and smiled and bit my lip till it bled. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's funny how we talk about that. Uh, when I interview people a lot, how like grief is relative that if they've, yeah. if the only thing she's ever experienced is the loss of her dog, then she really thinks it's that bad. And you're like, no, no, you have no idea. I mean, in my dog, I referred to her as daughter already. Like she's my child, but it's like she's also a dog. And so it's it's something that people don't realize that they they can either I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown. Do you know yeah. her at all? Okay, so yes. I love her. And she talks about when people are in shame or they're feeling pain, like we need to be compassionate witnesses and not try and be the one upper or the, I know exactly yes. how you feel too, or the people that negate the experience completely. And it's just so funny that I'm sure that lady thought she was really in your corner and you're just, mm-hmm. I just can't help but you thinking you are the biggest idiot on the face of the earth right now. Right. It's not the same at all. You know, it's just, no. it, people say the crazy things. I remember when my, my, my father had died and it was over Christmas break of sophomore year. And this girl I went to school with who I thought was, we were quite close. She'd slept over at my house mm-hmm. and stuff. And she's like, yeah, I really can't handle going to your dad's funeral. Cause like, I just don't want to see the coffin. I can't handle that. And I'm thinking if you can't even handle seeing a box, how do you think my siblings and I are feeling about the fact that our parent is in that box and that we're going right. to go literally lower him into the ground? Like people don't have that frame of reference until they've experienced it. Cause I do think you're right about what your minister said. It's oftentimes they're going to a grandparent or great aunt mm-hmm. or uncle. And it's this kind of abstract thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and for those of us that are, are bearing the most important person in our life, a, a huge pillar of our family, it, it, mm-hmm. it is, it is completely life altering from that very moment. Absolutely. Yeah. There's just so many cliches. Actually, one of the things that I, I created and I put on my website and it's people come and get it all the time. It's a free resource. It's called the ABCs of supporting a loved one after they've, they've lost a special person. And uh, it's a lot of, you know, broken up by ABCs, like all the things, you know, that you can or, and shouldn't do. Because I I think these are conversations and thank you so much for having a wonderful podcast like this, because I think talking about grief is a really important thing to do, even if you're not experiencing grief yet, you know, and you're lucky if you haven't. Right. Um, Because when it hits you, I feel like we are just so ill prepared. Mm -hmm. And I think are are the people around us are ill prepared to support us. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And and that's really what the the foundation of wanting to do this podcast was for me, because there's people like you and and I that are out there that have lost someone so important. And we are Mm -hmm. 
really in uncharted territory. And then there are people that are around us who have no idea what to do, no idea how to support us. Because, you know, when my father passed away, he was one of the only people in our community who had gotten cancer, let alone died from cancer. And then you're the family that's like, oh yeah, oh, there go the Harmon kids. You know, my, especially for my younger brother, who was a second grader, he was the kid whose dad died, you know, in early elementary school. And, and I empathize with your son because it kind of changes your identity in a lot of ways. And, and I think that bringing attention to it, how many people I know that have listened to this podcast that are friends of mine or acquaintances, they go, it's really funny. I just thought I'd be so depressed and crying and feel horrible listening to your podcast. But it's actually kind of funny because you realize this person went through that and that person. And that's what I feel like is so important and passionate about normalizing the experience because yes. you and I are, are normal people who just had something horrible happen to us. And, and we still have to walk and wake up and breathe and feed our dogs and get our kids to school. It's like all of those things. And I don't want anyone feeling isolated by that experience because there is so much about it. I interviewed this amazing woman named Melissa who lost her son um, a little bit older than Katie was to suicide. And just these, these stigmas and things that come with being the parent that lost a child and how people don't know how to relate. So they say things like, oh, I can't even imagine. I could never handle what you're going through. And she's like, well, thanks. Cause I have to handle this and this is my life and this is I my have reality. No choice. I have no choice. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how you're doing it, Lisa. It's like, well, I have no choice, you know? Right. Absolutely. And, and I, I think you absolutely like, you, you know, you talk about, uh, having this label, like, I feel like I've got a label on my mm-hmm. forehead. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's the lady, you know, whose daughter died in a car accident. And we actually talked about moving schools for my son um, because he was the younger brother of the kid who died in a car accident, you know, for the two and a half years that he had left at his high school. Um, you know, and I, I, I look back now and I, I think that we've all grown as well. Um, there's been exceptional growth in my son. And I think when you have to go through hard stuff, you have no choice but to, uh, to change who you are. Right. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I know that I foundationally on a cellular level changed. I really mm-hmm. think as soon as my father was diagnosed with cancer and then as soon as he died, it's, there's a, a different tangibility to the world now. And I think that it is a gift in so many ways. I, I would never, I would give anything to have my father back. I think that's why when people throw out expressions about it being, you know, God's plan or it was meant to be, or he's in a better place. Like don't, don't come at me with those kind of things. Those are the things I'm, I tell people all no. the time. Don't ever say that because where we want them is here with us in the same room and, and until they're 90 years old and just to be a part right. of all of these things. Um, I wanted to ask, were you able to, I know you were very proactive about, not proactive, but active about getting into counseling and trying to find all these outlets. Were you all able to provide mm-hmm. those kind of resources for your son? Was he put into counseling or? We, uh, right off the hop, we, we tried out some counseling, family counseling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, I don't know if it was the counselor or if, you know, the three of us were in just such different places, but it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we, we kind of aborted Mm -hmm. that. uh, And I just, I knew that I wanted to continue with 
counseling myself. So mm -hmm. I went on my own. We just always, we've always had a very open forum kind of in our house, mm -hmm. if you will. And there's a lot of checking in with each other. And mm -hmm. I really, supper time was always an important time in my home, even when Katie was here. And now it's, you know, it's huge. And that's always a time where we check in with one another. And, you know, we usually say, what was the best part about your day today? And, you know, get some conversations going and, and how's your heart, you know, and just see where that conversation goes. And um, I started writing my, my son letters and I, I don't do it really often because then I think it takes away the, the specialness of it. But, you know, he was 15 when his sister died. He's 20 now. He's, he's a guy. He's, you know, not, not Mr. Talk about my feelings kind of guy. But I wanted him to know how I felt and how, you know, how, how much I cherished him and I was worried about him and, and all the things I felt. And I would write him letters and, and he socked them all away. And it was a really good way for us to communicate. Mm -hmm. The other thing that helped um, him and I is driving. Because he's a he's a car guy, and he got his first car when you know shortly after Katie died, and and uh, I can read him fairly well. And I would say, you know what, pal, I need to go for a drive. You want to go for a drive? So he would jump in the vehicle, and I'll tell you, when you don't have to make eye contact and you can't get out of the vehicle, uh, some good conversations can happen. And he would. Um, there were a couple of times he sat in the back seat where he thought I couldn't see him although I could through the rear view mirror and he would just cry. And, um, you know, and the funny thing about that is that we'd be gone for a couple of hours and we'd, we'd come back and, you know, we both feel a little bit better and he'd say, good talk, mom. Next time you need to talk, let me know. We'll go for a drive. You know, so I kind of sold it to him all the time about me needing the drive. Right. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. I think there's something that's so pure about, holding that space for him and how admirable it is that you were able to hold that space for your child while you were going through so much pain and grief yourself. And I think when tragedies happen with multiple children, um, I know for our family, other families, I know they've gone through divorce or illness or, you know, mental health problems with someone in the family. It's, it's easy to isolate another child when something really terrible has happened with the other. Mm -hmm. And I'm really so happy to hear that you all were able to find that balance that he knew how important he was. And that, that is such a testament to you and your husband for having the foresight in the moment to say, okay, like we, we need to prioritize his wellness and his heart and his mm -hmm. presence because it's so easy to feel. I know my siblings and I have talked about it that, you know, when my dad died, we felt that our mom died too. And mm. it was, it, there is something that's very true about that feeling. I, I don't think we will ever, we will never be the same. We're not the same people we were obviously, but there, there's a grief element as well of watching your parent change when you have no control over that either. You've already lost one parent and then the other parents coping how they, the best they can, but it might not be what's serving the, you know, the betterment of the kids at that point. So why don't you tell me what is something someone could have done to help you at the time? You know, I think one of the greatest gifts that I would get is stories about Katie or pictures of Katie that I didn't, hadn't known about before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, 
setting up some tutoring for my son with one of the math teachers at the school. She was a substitute and um, I was talking to her on the phone and she said, oh, you're Katie's mom. And I thought, oh God, she doesn't know. And she did know, but she said, you know, I remember tutoring or not tutoring, but substituting in one of Katie's math classes. And she said, do you mind if I share a funny story with you? No, I would love to hear the story. Or, and it was a hilarious story. I guess there was um, a fire drill or something going on. So they were all under their desks or I don't know what kind of drill it was under their desks. And, and so Katie's on her hands and knees besides the substitute teacher. And Katie says, so how do you do question four? And I guess everyone <laughs> just broke, you know, broke out laughing. Um, so it was things like that, that were just such a gift to me because I think one of the greatest fears as a parent is that your child will be forgotten. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even now, four and a half years out, you know, if I get a random text, um, oh, just found this, this picture on my phone, or, oh my gosh, I saw this banana costume, and it totally reminded me of Katie, because Katie's got this banana costume she'd wear at all the football games and all the yeah. whatever, you know, and, and just all these things that make people, or let me know that people have not forgotten her. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really didn't need the casseroles. I didn't need the cards. I didn't need, they were lovely. Right. But the words and people's presence, mm -hmm. like, and, and I mean like being there. Right. 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 And it's, the checking in were the biggest things. Yeah. We, we had a, uh, my boyfriend's mother who I'm very close with, we call each other. She's my pre-mother-in-law. Um, that uh, they had a friend whose husband passed away of COVID recently in the last couple of oh, weeks, and, and she came to me and she's like, "I don't know what to do. What do we do? Like, this is um, you're the person that we go to for this." And they wanted to send mm -hmm. stuff, and I'm like, "Well, we can send flowers, but my mom was a florist growing up." And I said, "Let me call mm -hmm. them because we're not going to send them." funeral flowers. I want it to be the most vivacious, bright, colorful, lovely, like something you yes. would want in your house in the middle of spring. Not mm -hmm. here are these yellow roses that say your child is dead. Your husband is dead. Everything is ominous. And then mm -hmm. I said, and you can check in on her now, but really six weeks from now is when you're going to want Absolutely. to reach out and six months from now, because everyone will leave and she will feel that no one cares about her family and that her husband's presence is is non-existent and it's mm -hmm. not non-existent for us we have that person in our heart with us every single day every decision we make every experience we have and and it is hard i feel for your son i, I identify with this being a young person that there are so many things going forward for him as well that that he will not get to share with his sister i know you talked about the wedding and, and grandchildren and all these things mm -hmm. that on having lost a parent, I would have loved nothing more than to share that with my dad. And, and, but for your, mm -hmm. your son as well, not having his, you know, children have an aunt Katie and, and all of right. these things. And, and there's, there's grief in that, that you, you survive, you move on to eventually thrive, but those curveballs come over and over again for the rest of our lives. And I think, like you said, just being gracious with yourself and, and knowing that, that is what it is coming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give someone who loses a child? You know, probably there's two things. One is connect, connect. Connection is so huge. Um, find 
an online group of bereaved moms or, you know, whatever your situation is, find something in person. No one gets your journey, your pain, and what you're going through, except another person who's experienced a close loss. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I would say is that, um, hmm, and this, this may not go over well with everybody, but I think there comes a time, and it may not be right away, but I think there comes a time when we need to decide that we want to heal. Because I think there is that fork in the road, and, and I will admit it, it would be easy, easy to avoid the work. Because getting through grief, not that we get through it, but working with grief, mm -hmm. um, it's hard work. It is really hard work. Like you say, this grief is with us all the time, you know, and we can grieve in a healthy way, mm -hmm. choose to deal with it in a healthy way. Or, I mean, like you say, there's, there's lots of marriages, there's lots of households where it's not healthy, whether right. it's unhealthy uh, coping mechanisms, or it's just, you know, the, the whole relationship dynamic is just broken. Um, so I, I do think that it is a bit of a choice. There, there is, I think, a lot of truth to that, that you do have that choice of to hole up and victimize and, and not function and have that version of yourself die as it is and stay in that yep. space. You know, we talked a lot about how phases of our family, some of us were stuck in 2004 for a really long time. And I think you and I are very similar that I got very involved in organizations for cancer fundraising. And I was constantly, you know, let me help, let me help me move forward, you know, but my mm -hmm. siblings and I did not all respond the same. My mother and I did not respond the same. And there is something about having to choose to live and whatever that motivation is. And I always tell people like, let that, if, if at the beginning you need to get up every day for your person that you lost, great. If that's what's yep. motivating you or for another child, whatever it is, or your, your, your spouse. And eventually that's why timelining with this podcast starting is that I realize, okay, now I've, I've carried that torch from my dad for so long. Now I can start mm -hmm. my own chapter of how I'm going to handle my life for myself. Right. Um, and that took a very long time and there was guilt and grief involved in that. But one thing you've gone on to do is you've written this amazing book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? So it's Journey to Healing, A Mother's Guide to Navigating Child Loss. How did you mm -hmm. come to this? Tell us about it. <sighs> You know, it's kind of a funny story because if you would have asked me 10 years ago, are you ever going to write a book? I would have laughed. I would have said I was more likely to scale Everest than to write a book. <laughs> um, shortly after Katie died, um, I, I started doing a lot of journaling. Mm -hmm. And one day I literally opened up my laptop and, you know, I, within 10 minutes I had typed out this, I'm going to say amazing short story. And I called it the suitcase. And in the short story, a man shows up at my door, hands me this ugly, horrible, heavy suitcase, and he leaves. I don't know what to do with it. And I lug it everywhere. And it, you know, it, it takes the wind out of me when it lays on my chest at night. And I, you know, it hurts just to haul this thing around. And 
I, I don't understand this thing. So I unzip the corner slowly and peek in, but I don't really let enough light in. So it's still black and awful inside and I zip it back up. And then one day I get brave enough to unzip the whole suitcase and flip it open. And what's inside of the suitcase is actually love and beauty and memories. Mm. So the suitcase is a metaphor for grief. Mm-hmm. It, that it is on the outside, this hideous, awful thing that we have to lug around with us. But in time, uh, we start identifying, you know, we start remembering with smiles mm-hmm. instead of tears. So, you know, I got a lot of feedback on this short story. People say you should publish it. And I thought, eh. No, this is something special. And then shortly after that, I said to my husband, I want to write a book. And he said, are you kidding? (laughs) He says, what are you going to write about? And I said, well, you know, like this whole journey thing. And I said, but I just don't know. I just, I don't know what it looks like. And he says, you got to use that story. So the suitcase story is at the very beginning of my book. And that metaphor of like this travel and this tough journey is woven all the way through. Mm-hmm. And I also use healing, which is in the, the title journey to healing. Healing is actually a metaphor. So it stands for honoring your child, exercise and self care. A is for assistance. L is live your best life. I is ideas and intentions N is nurture your soul and G is gratitude. And these are the seven pillars that I perceive that we, that can help us move through uh, our grief and to, to work towards healing. But the book, um, it kind of took a life, took on a life of its own. Um, my daughter, oddly enough, was the writer in the family. And uh, she you know, we give away a literary award now at her elementary school. We give away a scholarship in her memory, but she was the one that could write with such great voice. Like, you, you know, when I would read over her assignments for school, it was like she was talking in my ear kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really believe that she played a role, that she wanted this book written as much as I did. And uh, interestingly enough, I added her to the cover in a discreet way. My name. My, my real name is not Lisa K. Bame. The K is for Katie. Mm. Um, but Lisa Bame was a, um, you know, not available for, a, for a, a domain name. So I thought, well, what am I going to do? And so I thought, well, I, I guess that. I'm going to have a K in my name. Um, but I really do believe that she, she led me through writing the book and uh, that, that she works beside me now. And then I believe that she connects me to other mothers that mm. just need need some support. What a beautiful, beautiful image and gift that she continues to play throughout your life. I think as soon as you described the suitcase, I was like, it's grief. Like I just, I just know right? like, that just, and then it's, I just, my heart just breaks like thinking of that on your chest. Cause I know what that feels like that, that suffocating, Oh, like it, it just almost feels like it's the, the weight has spikes through it that you can't it's like trying to sit up in the morning and go get in the shower just feels nearly impossible. And, mm-hmm. and that, and you do learn to cope with that. And that, you know, we, we had a therapist tell us a really great analogy shortly after my dad died about snowballs and that, 
when you first go through grief, you're getting hit with these snowmen that are like coming down a hillside, knocking you flat on your ass that are like seven feet taller than you. And then they get Mm -hmm. smaller. And then all of a sudden you have these like horribly hard, icy snowballs hit you out of nowhere. You're in the grocery store and it's like, you start crying and it's triggering and all these things. And then eventually you have this beautiful snowfall that are like these gorgeous glistening flakes that are reminders of this person. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's amazing that you've taken your loss, your daughter's essence in so many ways, and then channeled it into something that can be so healing and productive for other people that are going through this because they need that, especially because if you lose a parent, it's bad. If you lose, you know, a best friend, it's bad. If you lose a spouse, oh, that's terrible. If you lose a child, there's a whole other element of people being hands off about it because they're like, shit, I really don't know what to say. I really don't know how to help. And so I think it's amazing that you're, you've created this resource for people to learn how to go through it and help people that are going through it. Absolutely. And I think, um, probably what I've got the most feedback on is one of the appendices in the back is the do's and don'ts of being a supporter. And again, just another, another place for people, like even my husband, you know, as we meet other couples who've lost children, he, he'll often say, I need to go back and look at that. You know, even though we've been through it, sure. You still don't feel like, you know, it all Mm -hmm. right. And you still, you know, feel like, gosh, I could, say the wrong thing. And you can still step in it accidentally. I, I do that. Well, of and, course. And, it, and, human, that, and, right? and that is part of being human. I think though that it's, it's such a beautiful gift. In a weird way, it feels, I, I personally for myself, I've taken it now that it's a privilege to be a person that when someone's going through grief or loss, they can come to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, wish I, I wish I didn't have the experience to help people through it. But now I feel very um, impacted and, and want to make a meaningful transaction with someone to make sure that they know that they're supported, that they are seen, that people are trying their best. Because when we went through it so young, there was this element of um, people not caring or being dismissive. I know, I'm not sure about for your son, but for at school, I remember going back and I had a hat on, a beanie. And the first thing somebody said to me in the hallway was, Jesus, Laura, you look like a cancer patient. Oh, man. And my dad had died like a week earlier of cancer. And the look on his face, I'll never forget. His name was Mike. And he just went, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I just started laughing. I was like, that's, yeah, you know, thank you for welcoming me back to school. That was great. You know, because kids don't know. And that's something that um, is a whole other element for your son, I'm sure, as well, that adults don't even know how to handle grief 90% of the time. And then teenagers on top of it are a whole other, whole other bag. So I have a couple uh, final questions for you. Sure. Where do you think Katie is now? Hmm. Um, I would say I am more of a spiritual person than any religious person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that she is doing work on the other side. Um, you know, it's one of those things that people can't say to us, and I get livid. You know, God needed another angel, but right. Ugh. But in this in this time of COVID, in in particular, I remember putting this out into my private Facebook group that's just for angel moms, and I said, you know, please, if this post bothers you in any way, shape, or form, I will take it down immediately. I said, but I've been doing a lot of thinking. Now, Katie wanted to be. A nurse. nurse. 
and was just a very reach out, help, help people. And I said, what if, what if God needed more angels because he knew that this big thing was going to happen? Mm-hmm. And I put it out there kind of like with my, my finger on the button to delete it, you know, expecting maybe some people would say, oh, you can't say that. And, and the responses from all these moms were like, absolutely. Of course they are. This is what our children are doing now. Um, so that, that is just what I believe. I also believe, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go so far as to say that I know that I'm going to see her again. And that, uh, that we are, you know, we are still connected. And it's just, I like to think that I've built a relationship with, I built a relationship with her. It's a new relationship. It's a different relationship than it was when she was here, but that she's not gone, not gone, gone. She's just, uh, it's just different now. You know, I, I love the image of that. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with you and like feel that in my bones that the idea that someone is warm and is loving, loving and as lovely as your daughter is there to help those, you know, whether it's a COVID sufferer or whatever it is, like there's, I strongly believe myself as well, that there is another side and that these people are happy, our families are happy and thriving and loving. And mm-hmm. it's a beautiful image to know that she is there with open arms to help people transition that way. But also when you talk about the roles changing, I'm always amazed, especially when it's a child that they have such an amazing power and impact to shape your life in a new way because you've been their mentor in so many ways their whole lives. And now she has this great opportunity to guide you through the next you know, few chapters of your, of your time here, which is just so beautiful. But I also think we have to be open to it. Oh yeah. And I think, I I hope that people, it's funny, the people that I've had on here that are, that I know well, that are the biggest, most crazy atheists, right? Everyone turns to worm food. We're done. So cynical. When I get to this round of questioning, each person doesn't say they're worm food. It's, well, I look across the pond and I think he's over there. And it's just kind of funny that like, no, I think a lot of us really believe that deep down that there, there's more, there's something else. Well, and I, I mean, call me crazy, but I almost have gotten to the point where I I feel like our earthly time Mm -hmm. is like a big university, a big college where our souls know before we get here, our souls know that we need to learn certain things. So it's almost like before I got here, okay, got to learn how to, you know, get through child loss, got to, you know, because we learn from the hard stuff. Absolutely. You know, so I feel like I'm here to learn. Mm-hmm. And if I don't learn it this time, I'm going to have to come back and do it again. So, yeah, so you're like, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm doing the best I can here. Right. So final question. Mm-hmm. If you and Katie could sit down on the couch, just the two of you, what would you say to her if you could? Oh boy. That I am so proud of her. I always have been. And that I love that she is still with us and, you know, with me and that I just want her to guide me and show me the way and and I will be her voice and I will be I will be whatever she needs me to be 
and that I, I know we're going to see each other again and we can continue on when that happens. Thank you so much, Lisa. That's beautiful. I, I really appreciate you coming on here and being vulnerable and, and sharing your journey with us. It means so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I think this is a, just a great conversation that we just keep talking about grief. I agree. Let's keep it up. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please like and subscribe, rate and review, and follow us through the website, mycondolencespodcast.com. Thanks, guys. <laughs>